You know, we're right here smack in the middle of holiday of the holiday season, that season between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And for all the joy that we have during this season, it can also be a bittersweet time, can it? There, there are often uh, mixed emotions during this time of the year. It's sweet when we get to see friends or family members that we haven't seen for a long time, whether we go to see them or they come to see us. It's sweet when we get to have that time together, but it's also bitter when it's time to depart, isn't it? It's bitter when we when we have to leave them or they leave us. Uh, Miranda and I felt that uh, bitter sweetness at Thanksgiving this year. Uh, we we had a great time, you know, had a great time with with family and friends and all that. But Kyla and Cole and Kent and Caden uh, all got to come in for Thanksgiving this year, and that was a sweet time. And it's always a sweet time. And with them just being over in Norfolk, you know, it, it happens fairly fairly regularly that we we get to see them. But when it was about time for them to leave, we realized that it's probably going to be uh, probably a year before we see Kyla because she's going to be deployed and and all of those things that comes from serving in the navy. So it was a bittersweet time. It's a it's a time that time of departure can be uh can be heart-wrenching, can't it? It's always a sad time when we depart from family for a period of time. It's always a sad thing when we depart from friends for a period of time. It's also, I think it's probably even more than that, I think it's especially hard for a pastor to be separated from his congregation, for a pastor to say goodbye to his church. Now, don't worry, that's not what I'm doing this morning. That's one thing about systematic preaching is we preach it when we get to it. So this isn't me saying goodbye to to you unless you run me off, and if you do that, that's not going to (laughs) happen. But that's what we see happening with Paul here this morning. Paul is saying goodbye. It's a heart-wrenching time as Paul says goodbye to his church. And verses 13 through 17, we won't spend a whole lot of time in that, but really that 13 through 17 is, is just a travelogue of all the places that he passed through after he left Troas. Remember last week we were in Troas with him, and if you're really curious, you've got that map in your bulletin. You can follow along with all the neat little places and the neat little names that are there. But like I say, we're not going to go into those places in detail because verse 16 says that he was in a hurry. He wasn't lingering in those places. Those were just whistle stops along the way. He was in a hurry because he wanted to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. And he knew that he was on a on a time crunch. Now... On the way, he had to sail past Ephesus. And you remember that he had pastored Ephesus for three years. That was really the only place that he had settled down to pastor. And he passed by. He knew he couldn't hang out there because it would have been a long time. But even though he passed by there, his heart was tugging him back to those people. He couldn't get them off his mind. He cared for them. He had loved those people. He had borne the weight of their souls. You know, that's what it means to be a pastor. It means that a pastor bears the weight of the souls of his people. I don't mean that to be melodramatic. It's just what it is. But that's why Paul made this stop 
along the way at a place called Miletus. Now you can see that on the map, that Miletus sat there right on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. It's, it was about 30, 30 miles or so from Ephesus. It's Topography has changed over the years. It's no longer a port city because silt has come in and all those kinds of things, but that's really beside the point. As I said, Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem by Passover, so he didn't have time to actually stop there in Ephesus. He knew that it would have been, he wouldn't have been able to leave because of his love for the people and their love for him. So he stopped at this place that was fairly close and he called the elders. And when you see the word elders, don't get caught up in, in different pictures of what you think that means. When the Bible talks about elders, when the New Testament talks about elders, matter of fact, in this passage, we'll see that he gives this same group of people three different names. He calls them elders, he calls them shepherds or pastors, and he calls them overseers, depending on your translation. That word overseers in other places in the King James is translated bishop. Really, it's not, don't get, don't get the idea of how some other groups have twisted that into something that it's not. What he's saying is this group of people was, were his, they were his co-pastors in Ephesus. And he called them to come to him there. He called his fellow pastors from Ephesus to gather together to remind them, to charge them, to remind them of what a true shepherd's heart is supposed to look like. Paul had, there's no doubt that Paul had a true shepherd's heart for the church at Ephesus. And he was reminding his fellow pastors there of the heart that they needed to have. And as I studied this and read this, Paul is reminding me of the shepherd's heart that I need to have. And as we look at this passage this morning, he's reminding each of us in here of the heart that a pastor is supposed to have. Whether that's me, whether that's any future co-pastors that you might call, that you might need to have, whatever, it's to remind us of the heart that the pastor is supposed to have. In Paul's farewell to his co-pastors, he gives us eight characteristics of a shepherd's heart. The first characteristic is that a shepherd's heart is transparent. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. It says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you from the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You yourselves know. Let me put this as plainly as I know how. A pastor cannot be a pastor unless he is known by the flock that he pastors. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let me ask you something. How can you imitate somebody you don't know? You can't, can you? How can you consider the way of somebody's life if you don't know them, if you don't know what their way of life is? There's no way that you can know how a TV preacher or how a podcast preacher or how an internet theologian or how a book author lives. You can't imitate a blogger. 
Now, I'm not saying that those things are in and of themselves bad. Those are some wonderful resources. All those things can be wonderful blessings. I, I read more books and blogs and listen to more preaching than, than most sane people <laughs> do. Uh, those things are edifying and they're helpful. I thank God for the, the rich resources and the ability to do that. But listen to me, those things can never take the place of being shepherded by pastors that you really know that you live life with. You should be able to tell if my humility is real or fake. You should be able to imitate the way that I love my family, that I way, the way that I love my wife, the way that I live my life, the way that I love the Lord, the way that I make disciples. <clears throat> now, none of those things are going to be perfect in that's, that's part of living life together, isn't it? You, you should be able to see in the ways that I do those things and in the way that I fall short in those areas, you should be able to see my, humi- my, my repentance in the way that I fall short in those things. Our relationship needs to be transparent enough that you really know what breaks my heart. That you really know what gives me joy. And as much as possible, I need to know the same things about you. A shepherd's heart has to be transparent. It's also bold. Look at verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> and how I... Let me get it up here where I can actually see it. That's part of that transparency, right? <laughs> how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How I did not shrink from declaring to you. You ever seen a shepherd's staff? We don't have, we don't have any shepherds in here and we don't have many, many shepherds around, but we've all seen the pictures of a shepherd's staff, right? On one end it has a, a crook on it, it has a hook on it, and on the other end it has a little pointy end on it. Most of the time, a shepherd never, from what I understand, what I've been told, most of the time a shepherd never really needed to use his staff or his shepherd's stick. He Most of the time he would carry it around like a walking stick. But sometimes... The reason that he had that was sometimes he'd have to use the hook to draw in some wayward sheep as they were starting to straggle off. It wasn't just a, a nice scene. No, sometimes he had to snatch them in. And that pointy end was even more unpleasant. Sometimes he had to use that pointy end to prod some sheep that were straggling on the other side. Ones that would wander out ahead, he'd have to use the hook for. The ones that were straggling behind, he'd have to use the prod for. He'd also have to use that stick if there were any wolves that were trying to get in among the flock. I don't have to go into detail about what the shepherd would have to do with the wolves. You know, that requires boldness, doesn't it? The closest thing that I have to a staff is this. Matter of fact, that's the only thing that I have. As your pastor, as your shepherd, the only thing that I have is this Bible. So I cannot shrink 
from boldly telling you what this Bible says. If you need to be drawn back in by it, then that's what I need to do. If you need to be poked and aggressively prodded with it, then that's what I need to do. And I need to be bold enough to use this Word, this Scripture, to run off a predator if a predator is looking to divide or bring dissension in this flock. Whether the truth is difficult or whether it's convicting or whether it's harsh or whether it's peaceful and whether it's comforting, it's profitable. And I can't shrink away from it. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I must be bold. I can't shrink from that. And neither can you. A shepherd's heart has to be bold. It also has to be obedient. Look at verses 22 through 24. Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. <clears throat> Sometimes the Lord leads us into difficult circumstances, doesn't He? You know, every time that you go into a difficult circumstance in life or a trial in life, you understand that the Lord is over that path, that it's not beyond the Lord. And obedience means that a shepherd goes, no matter how difficult the path is, or no matter how unknown the path is, <clears throat> a shepherd goes and stays where God leads him. And it also means that he leads the church in the direction that God is leading him. God clearly led Paul to go to Jerusalem. He clearly led him to go to Jerusalem, even though he didn't tell Paul what was waiting for him there. Even though he knew that he was going to have to face difficulties, and the odds were he was going to have to face imprisonment and difficulties and all those kinds of things. In verse 22, Paul said that he didn't know what was going to happen to him when he got to where he was headed. All he knew was that he needed to go. He needed to go where the Lord was leading him, no matter what. That's what a true shepherd always needs to do. Remember that a true shepherd in the church is only a shepherd in so much as he is the under-shepherd following the leadership of Jesus as the shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the head. The way is not always going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it is rarely easy. But it will always testify to the gospel of the grace of God like verse 24 says. Now, who knows where God's going to lead me? Who knows where God's going to lead us as a church in the upcoming months or the upcoming years? I don't know, and you don't know. But here's what we have to know. We have to know that wherever He leads, we've got to follow. Whether it's going to be difficult, whether it's going to be challenging, if it's not difficult and challenging, then we're probably not headed in the direction He wants us to go but we must follow. 
It's not always our job to know, but when God makes it makes it clear, it's our job to obey, even though we can't map out every little thing that's going to happen along the way. A shepherd's heart is obedient. A shepherd's heart is also faithful. Look at verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. For some, some way, some reason, Paul knows that this is the last time that he's going to see these dear brothers of his. This is the last time that he's going to see anybody really uh, representative of the church at Ephesus that he loved so much. These men that were there with Paul had poured out their blood, sweat, tears, their prayers, had poured out themselves in shepherding the flock there at, Eph- there at Ephesus. It was during their pastorate there at Ephesus that the church had an amazing impact. You remember we've talked about this impact. They planted churches throughout Asia Minor in places like Colossae and Hierapolis and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea in a three-year period. God used them to plant all of those churches. It was during their pastorate that back in chapter 16, the Bible says that all Asia Minor, all Asia Minor, all of their region heard the word of the Lord. What a tremendous impact they had. They shepherded their church to effectively evangelize their entire region. If that's not faithfulness, I don't know what is. Because that's what God calls us to do, right? How can you tell whether a shepherd is faithful or not? we got all kinds of ways that we like to measure that, don't we? You know, we can look and we can, you know, we can look at a church's beautiful facilities and say, oh, they've got, man, that, that, that shepherd must be faithful. Or you can look at their fat bank account or, or those kinds of measurements and you can think, oh, that, that means that shepherd's just being really, really faithful. Or look at all the flashy programs or the things that they have or the, the quality of the, the stage production. Oh, that shepherd must be being faithful. No. That's not how you can tell. You can tell a shepherd's faithfulness two ways. First, how well is his church effectively evangelizing the region that it's in? How effectively is the church reaching people with the gospel beyond its walls? It's our job to multiply disciples. It's our job to multiply churches so the gospel can be proclaimed to everybody in our region and beyond. That's what God's called us to. Now, whether they respond to the gospel, that's between them and God. They're going to have to stand accountable for that. But we're going to have to stand accountable as to whether we proclaimed the gospel to them. And if we have, if we've been faithful to do that, then we can stand like Paul and say we are innocent of the blood of all. Second, you can tell a shepherd's faithfulness by his determination to declare the whole Word of God to his flock. That's why we preach the way we do. We preach systematically through books of the Bible because what it does is it forces me to preach things that I don't want to preach to you. 
Who in the world wants to stand before a group of people who are looking at him and proclaim his job description to them? Nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do that. (laughs) But I've got to. Because it's where we are. Right? I'd, I'd rather skip this whole section. But I can't. I can't because you need to hear what the Bible says about everything. Not just what is easy to preach. Faithfulness means that by by God's grace, I will always lead you to multiply disciples, to multiply churches so that we will be innocent of the blood of all, no matter what opposition might come along. And faithfulness, faithful, man, I can't even get the word out. Faithfulness means that by God's grace, I will proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. A shepherd's heart is faithful. A shepherd's heart is also caring. Verses 28 through 31. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. You know, in... um, in our, I don't know, our evangelical culture, our church culture, something has happened over the last 50 or 60 years to really distort our understanding of what it means to care for the flock, what a shepherd's care is supposed to look like. Somehow we've moved from churches wanting shepherds to lead them to to churches wanting chaplains who will just minister to their personal needs or wants or preferences. And I think that that's why we see the results that we do. I think that's why we see so many churches around us who are dead or dying or in steep decline because they've become so internally focused and they've instead of looking to somebody who will lead them, they look to somebody who will care for them in their wants and their desires and their inside the walls mentality. Folks, that, that ought not to be so. But it is, isn't it? It is because the shepherds either aren't or aren't allowed to oversee the flocks that God has charged them with. See, true caring is leading. True caring is overseeing. True caring isn't isn't coddling. No, true caring is doing things like aggressively rooting out the wolves of sin and division and discord in the church. I think it shocked you this several months ago. I, some of you might remember, I think it shocked you just seeing the looks on your faces when I told you that it's my job to kill any wolves that might try to destroy or defeat or divide or sow discord in this flock. I think what shocked you the most was that I probably ought to hang their pelt on the wall as a deterrent. <laughs> from any other wolves. Now that sounds harsh. But it's not. 
It's not because that's the most caring thing that I could do. Um, Think about a real shepherd with a real flock of sheep. Would he be caring if he allowed a wolf that was trying to divide his flock to continue to prowl, hoping that he might change from being a wolf? Now, the most caring thing that I can do is lead you away from spiritual danger. And the most caring thing that I can do is lead you to accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish. If I sacrifice our mission at the altar of our individual wants and preferences and desires, that would be the least caring thing that I could do. A shepherd's heart is caring. It's also selfless. Look at verses 32 and 33. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. The words that Paul's using here are financial words. Just in those two sentences, that's that's what he's using. He switches to uh, almost like banker's words. A shepherd's treasure is God and His words. His Word. That's a shepherd's treasure. That's what builds up the pastor's spiritual bank account. That's what provides the pastors, the shepherds, lasting inheritance. So because of that, because this, because God, because His Word is my inheritance, is my spiritual bank account, because of that, a shepherd doesn't have to covet resources, doesn't have to covet finances, doesn't have to covet money and stuff. Now there's a whole world of prosperity gospel preachers that probably need to read that. Amen? But does that mean that pastors shouldn't be paid? 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders, remember we said that means pastors, elders, pastors, overseers, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The point is, the shepherd's heart should certainly be free from greed. But at the same time, A pastor's heart, a shepherd's heart should also be free from financial worry. That's why churches pay their pastors. Now churches paying their pastors, there's something that that we need to understand about that. When churches pay their pastors, it's not paying their pastors like an employee, like you're paying the secretary or the janitor. No, churches pay their pastors not as an employee. Churches pay their pastors because they want to care for their pastors in such a way that the pastors are free to devote their time to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Think about it like this. Probably the best analogy, the best parallel that I could come up with is this. You've heard of people commissioning a painting, right? If somebody commissions an artist for a painting what the one who's commissioning that artist is doing is saying, I'm paying you to do the job that I want you to do. I'm paying you to paint this thing the way that I want you to paint it. And if I don't look as good as I think I do, then you're not going to get paid, right? That's what commissioning an artist does. 
The more people that like his work, the more he'll get paid to do it. That's completely different from a benefactor. What a benefactor does, a benefactor provides for the financial needs of the artist so that the artist can spend his time exercising the creative gifts that God has given him so that he can be free to do that. So it's the difference between being commissioned and being a benef- being provided for by a benefactor. Listen, I am absolutely humbled and thankful for how graciously you as a church provide for me and my family. I am, I am awestruck and I am humbled by that. I am so thankful for your generosity. But listen to me. If I allow your generosity to cause me to become a hireling, I'd be a horrible shepherd to you. Not only would I be a horrible shepherd to you, I would be a horrible under-shepherd to my Savior. And I'm not going to do that. When Jesus described Himself in one place, He described Himself as the Good Shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, this is how Jesus described Himself, or described a shepherd. He said, A shepherd, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So if our, if Jesus is our good shepherd is not a hireling, then neither can the under shepherds that he entrusts his churches with. By God's grace, I will always, always do my best by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will do my best to serve you. But in saying that I will do my best to serve you, I must never allow you to become my master. Jesus is my only master. Jesus is my chief shepherd. And by God's grace, I'm his under shepherd. And it's the under shepherd that he's given to selflessly lead you. A shepherd's heart is selfless. It's also diligent. Look at verses 34 and 35. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities. These hands. He's looking at His hands. These hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Make no mistake about it, if you were looking for a hard worker, Paul was a hard worker. Now there were some times, like when he was at Corinth, when he was at Corinth he had to work hard in a secular job to provide uh, support for the ministry because the, the money wasn't coming in from the other churches so he had to work hard as a tent maker. But that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is that when he was at Ephesus, he was working hard shepherding. Now I don't want to sound self-serving, but pastoring is hard work. At least it should be. I told you this is a tough message to preach, right? It's, it's tough preaching your own job description. But pastoring should be hard work. 
Now, granted, it's not physical work, and those who work in a physical job are, you know, look like, uh huh, you don't look like you work a day in your life, right? I spent most of my Air Force career doing physical work. There's not much, not much in life that's more fun than working behind a pick and a shovel for eight hours in clay and rock. I wasn't a prisoner doing it. (laughs) Or working hundreds of feet in the air slinging steel for months at a time building communication towers. That's hard physical work. But here's the thing about that. When quitting time comes, buddy, you go home. You go home and you've got that sense of accomplishment of building something or moving something or doing something. The weight of that steel, once you bolt it into something else, the weight of that steel is off. The weight of souls is different. Shepherding is not about keeping a time clock. It's not about maintaining a workload. And I'm not saying that there aren't lazy pastors out there. There are lazy pastors out there. But they're not shepherding like this. It's about being accountable before the Lord for each of you. Now each of you, don't get me wrong, each of you are personally responsible for your own standing eternally before the Lord. Each of you will stand before the Lord at the judgment day and you will answer to Him what you have done with His Son. Each of you will stand responsible for that. But as your pastor, God will hold me accountable for what I have done with the souls that He's entrusted me with. So when I see you stray, you know, some of you probably think I'm just a horrible nag. Because I pester you about coming to church and those things. When I see you stray, when I see you demonstrate to your children that their extracurricular activities have more value than their spiritual development, when I see you neglect your church family, that's a heavy burden. It's not just because I, you know, want to see how many numbers are here on Sunday. It's because I've been entrusted to bear the weight of your soul. That's way heavier than any I beam or any C channel that I ever hauled in my life. I can't even begin to explain to you the burden that it is to know that there are some of you who, despite the fact that you sit here week after week after week under the teaching of the Gospel, have still not surrendered your heart to Jesus. I can't imagine what it will be like one day to stand before the Lord and know that one of those that He has entrusted me with was lost forever. So because of that burden, a shepherd must be diligent. A shepherd must work hard. But the things that a shepherd must work hard at are what we're charged to work hard in. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. 
And when that happens, when a shepherd is diligent, when the when the shepherd is diligent and the flock appreciates it, when the shepherd is selfless and the flock provides for him, when the shepherd is caring and the flock receives his care, when a shepherd is obedient and the flock follows him, when the shepherd is bold and the flock responds to his teaching, when a shepherd is transparent and the flock honors him, when those things happen, then the shepherd and the flock will really, really love each other. And we see that displayed in verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, He knelt down and prayed with them all. I just want you to get the feeling of this. And there was much weeping on the part of all as they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the weight of that love? If you've ever sent a a child away to college or if you've ever sent a child away to boot camp or if you've ever sent someone away on the mission field, I think you just begin to catch a glimpse of what was being felt here. Some of you had a scene like that after Thanksgiving and some of you are going to have a scene like that after Christmas. Those are the kind of scenes that happen when people really, really love each other. And I believe, and I'm so thankful... Every day, I believe that God's growing that kind of love in us. Amen? You know, I thought long and hard as I was preparing this message, I thought long and hard for some specific points of application that I could draw out and I could give you and something you could put down on on some notes and, and really, really be good to go with it. But the fact is, there are way more points of application for me in this than there are for you. And it would be self-serving, I think, of me to go back through here and give you a list of things so that you could be good to your shepherd. Uh, That'd be self-serving, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave you to work through that on your own. But here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with the fact that my desire, my heart's desire, is to always shepherd you well. I fully understand the gravity of what it means to be entrusted with you as my flock. To be trusted. For God to trust me to be your shepherd. I fully understand the gravity of that. Do you? I want nothing more. Ephesians chapter 5 describes... It's a passage that we use often when we talk about the love between a husband and a wife, but Jesus uses that as a picture, as an example of the love between Him and the church. And in that, He describes presenting the church to the Lord. And I want nothing more than one day to present you to the Lord in all your glory without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, holy and blameless before the Lord. I want nothing more than that. Will you allow me to do that? Will you allow yourself to be loved and cared for and led and shepherded? If you will, then I have no doubt in my mind that we, Parkview Baptist Church, will have the same kind of impact that the church at Ephesus did. 
You remember the kind of impact that they had? They planted churches all over the region. They were so effective in ministry that the Bible could accurately say that every person in their region had heard the Word of God. I have no doubt that God can do that through us. Do you? Do you believe that God can do that through us? I believe. And I believe that He'll do it not for my sake, not for your sake, but He'll do it for Christ's sake and for His glory.